Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, Owen Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, let's the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalzik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, how's it going this week? It's going okay. How are you? I am tired because I I watched way too much Netflix this week. I was working at the time, so I wasn't just like, you know, but... uh, You weren't doing what I I do, which is just watching Netflix all day. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and not doing anything else. <laughs> I was, I was in, like today. I was invoicing while I binged Mindhunter, which I'll talk more about next week. Um, and also last week I watched, uh, per, per your recommendation, uh, Sugar Rush and Awake. And when I say I watched Awake, I mean I watched an episode of Awake. And um, so here's the thing: you are absolutely right. Uh, this got some major structural problems. I do think there's a really good show there, though. Yes, there there is somewhere, but yeah. it's not in its current version. No, <laughs> well, because the whole show comes down to, in the the end, the climax is all based on, like the the thing that starts the episode. You need something yeah. new that just structurally doesn't work. Ah, uh, I kind of like it because then you're just like you're you've done these by this point three other challenges mm-hmm. and you've been up for like another half hour 45 minutes and you have to really reevaluate how good you think you are you're like even more exhausted basically um so i like that it returns to sort of a mental game by the end um even if i do agree that there is a point in which it's not compelling television to watch a thing go up, a little meter go up and down twice. Yeah. But what I mean is, especially I mean, anybody who watches it and then would go on to a, another season yeah. would all know that they shouldn't ever go for the million because they can't possibly get within $25. So two people win the million. <laughs> Two people got within $25 of the their count. Yeah, no, like one person actually left and their count was within 55 cents. And they felt really bad. How did you get within 55 cents? Sorry, 50 cents, 50 cents. 50 That's cents. an error in my. They got within okay. 50 cents, yeah. Okay, but the point being, okay, so pe- there are people who can do it, I guess. Yes, But yeah, there are. But most can't. And yes, no, so most it, cannot. And it's not, so therefore it's not satisfying to watch yeah. as a viewer. No, that's fair. That's it's fair. not interesting, it's not satisfying. And uh, so the other ones I thought were interesting and fun, like other games, but like it's just, it needs another step. They yes. have a good, like, it needed another round of brainstorming. And if, you know, right. the way you were talking about with Sugar Rush, where they tweak the format in the second season, if it does come back, I could see, like, I do see a way that this could be a really fun and really interesting show. Um even if they like made them do like trivia, like really basic trivia, but they're just so tired, or, right? Yeah, <laughs> or make them do like really basic mental mental math, but they're just really tired. So as a viewer, you, you like you can enjoy like sort of like hot ones where you're, they're being tortured yes. for your amusement, but you can appreciate that like I know I would do even worse <laughs> if you know. Um, 
Yeah, I just like, I don't know. I, so I was interested enough to watch one, but yeah, you're right. It's way too long. Was not going to watch more. I did, watch, however, watch Sugar Rush. And when I say I watched Sugar Rush, I mean I watched all of Sugar Rush. I watched every single episode and might have been tempted to go back and start rewatching, not because I actually wanted to rewatch any of the episodes, just because I really like the format. <laughs> it's so good it's such a good format um at the the season two tweaks i mostly really liked like you talked about with the timing but i did like a little bit of the tension of having to wait to start that you get in season uh, one mm-hmm. um so i think there's a way that they could do that that would be interesting i also didn't appreciate that people who like hit the buzzer right after somebody else just lost time. Like, their timer doesn't stop when they hit the buzzer, regardless of how long the judges take to get to them. I didn't think, feel like that was very fair. But, um, other, but I, you know, because of the way they have it formatted, that's a, just a necessity of the structure at this point. But, um, you know, everybody knows that going in, so it's just, you can strategize around it. The, the guest judges I thought were really fun. Mm-hmm. I liked that in season, I mean, in general, they had interesting and helpful things to say. I like that in season one, you can see that they are trying to weight the celebrity judges more. And already in season two, they're like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Have the celebrity judges give their pick first. Because the audience will be mildly interested in them, but they're more invested in what the actual regular judges have to say by season two. So that was fun to watch uh, them tweak. And the, uh, so, I mean, just like what these people make is just amazing. I really appreciate any of these sh- crafting shows or artistic shows that show somebody doing something that they're very good at under certain parameters. This is why, aside from uh, Nicole Byer, uh, I do not care for Nailed It. I just she's so, she's so charming that I will watch it. But watching people who aren't good at something mostly fail at it, but in a kind of oh well kind of way is not interesting to me. Watching people have to try to execute insane cra- like cakes and cookies and things, but on a ridiculous time crunch, that is more interesting to me and will always be more interesting to me. So that's why I'm so much more on board with Sugar Rush. I I didn't check it out because I didn't really care for Nailed It that much. And I'm so glad that you brought it to my attention. Yeah, no problem. I'm glad. I kind of had a feeling it was going to be in your wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm glad you went and watched all of it and then almost went back and watched all of it again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was just, I had to stop, you know, I had to like turn off the Netflix because I was supposed to be working and it just was really like, I was like, I, I had like downloaded some so that I could like, listen to them in the car. I mean, you can't watch it, which is like the whole point of a baking show. You want to see what they make, but I didn't even care. I was like, put my phone, like turn the screen off and, or whatever, like put the audio through the speakers so I could like listen. So I could, cause I wanted to just find it. It was, it was, it was, it was dire there for, for a moment this week. <laughs> so I'm glad I'm all caught up. Um, I am not yet caught up on the make you watch a thon picks for next week. I am caught up with my, pick but not yours yet listeners every year here at the televerse and the anniversary of the debut of the televerse um the we, each of our hosts here in this case myself and Noel, have to pick a show that we want the other person to watch and we make them watch it and it's the make you watch a thon and like for the last couple of years i've been making Noel watch pretty intense shows so this year i promised him nothing too long and nothing too intense because last year he watched all of the leftovers in like a month and like i'm sure i'm pretty convinced that's not good for anyone's mental health so this year i'm making you watch season one of schitt's creek 
available on Netflix. Which I have already done. <laughs> ah, there we go. When What does Mel think about it? Wait until next week and you shall find out. But um, listeners should go to Netflix and watch and then they can you know, interact next week and let us know what they think and where, you know, whether they feel it was inappropriate make you watch a thumb pick. You are making me watch. Uh, Descending Stories, uh, Showa Gen- Genroku Rakugo Shinju, um, which just Descending Stories is much easier to say, which is an anime that was uh, pretty close to my top 10 list back in 2017. I want to say 2016, 2017. I think 2017. Um, and I really, really liked it. It's 26 episodes. Um, and I was just like, Kate's been thinking about wanting to watch this because of my description of it. So I was just like, you're going to watch it. You're going to watch it. Then. You're going to watch the serious show this time. <laughs> <laughs> of the two. Yeah. It's on Crunchyroll and uh, mm-hmm. very accessible. Um, I don't know if there's a dub, but there's a sub. There is, there is there is not a dub. Um, I cannot imagine a dub mm-hmm. um, for storytelling reasons, like literal storytelling reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, you would, I, I can't, I don't, I wouldn't want these stories that these people tell to be dubbed. It's a big part um, of the show, listeners. Yeah, storytelling. It being, in, yeah. it being in Japanese just means something, I think, and cultural tradition and that kind of thing. So transitioning out of that, I think, would be bad. Um, but I mean, Chiharafuru found a way around it with the dub. They just didn't dub the poetry and that worked out okay. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know that I'd want this dub. It just, it misses something. Plus you lose these really good vocal performances because the vocal performances in Descending Stories are amazing. Hmm. Anyway. So we'll be talking about that next week <laughs> yeah. and you have your assignments, everyone. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I am too. I'm very excited. I need to go back and watch Descending Stories now too. <laughs> <laughs> well, also this uh, coming up soon, uh, I will be on the Hall of Faces again, and the characters that the show that we're talking about next on Hall of Faces is Deep Space Nine. So nice. Oh, so you got to watch some Deep Space Nine. I I'm, I was shucky darn. I'm gonna have to watch some DS Nine. The tricky thing was like on some of these other shows that we've done, like you know, like the most recent one, SpongeBob. It was very easy for me to narrow it down to like one or two characters to like decide sure. who I was gonna really argue for. On DS Nine, there are so many. Like I don't feel like there's a correct answer. Do you feel like there's a correct answer for best character on DS Nine? Um, I haven't watched a D- enough DS Nine to give you an answer to that. I. Like, I've seen a handful of scattered episodes, and then I tried to get through season one, and I didn't get through season one. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's the tradition of, like, of Trek series having a rough first season. But, like, I think the, the first season of DS9 is just just way better than most of the first seasons sure. of Trek series. But, uh, but I do I do hear what you're saying a little bit. Yeah, so that's going to be really interesting. So it's going to be a, an interesting week of TV viewing for me because it's going to be like back and forth between these very different shows, but that which are very highly recommended and in some of the, the cases very close to my heart. So yeah, lots of TV viewing this week. Listeners, reach out with your thoughts on any and all and then come back next week to hear us talk Schitt's Creek and Descending Star stories is gonna be so much fun but until then this week we're talking glow season three at the end of the show um getting our glitz and glamour in vegas on i'm doing a showgirl sort of walk pose i don't know he's, he's, i can i can instantly see the feathers like yeah, there's right. yeah. yeah absolutely and the, the headpiece very is he's very I'm tall Gina right davising this oh. so hard right now <sighs> 
that we all could Gina Davis just everything. That would just yeah, make no, life better. Fair. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyways, that's going to be at the end of the show. Now we'll take a break and head into a somewhat truncated weekend to be. There are a bunch of TV episodes this week, but only a handful that we really wanted to dive in with. And like last week, lots of finales and, and you, know, you know, other premieres and finales and things happening. But so we're going to focus on on those for the most part this week in our Weekend TV and then head into the DVD shelf. So we'll take a break, listen to some In Vogue and come back with our Weekend TV. That was Hold On by In Vogue, featured prominently this week on Pose. This week in TV, we're talking, first, a black lady sketch show. Your boss knows you don't have eyebrows. Um, then I'll talk a bit about Kim's Convenience Season 1, which I just just watched all of in, like, the last 48 hours. It's it's so good. It's really good. Anyways, to that in a moment. After that, I'm going to talk uh, with Noel about the Terror Infamy, A Sparrow and a Swallow's Nest. That's their season premiere. And then briefly about Poe's Life's a Beach. And then the Claws finale, Finna. I think that's how it's pronounced. Um, and then we'll run things out with the elementary series finale, The Last Bow. So first up is A Black Lady Sketch Show. And Noel, I want to hear what you think about this episode. But also, at a certain point, I don't really care because I have I have lived the white girl counterpart to the, that opening sketch so hard. People are like, are, are you okay? Are you, are you sick? Are you okay? Can I do anything for you? It's like, no, I'm just not wearing makeup today. I am this pale. This is what I look like if I don't, like, take time to draw on, like, like toner and, you know. I just am, ugh, reflectively pale. And thank you for just, is everything all right? I just have dark circles. Anyways, so this, needless to say, I really like this episode. <laughs> no, I did too. I still haven't watched the premiere yet. Um, but I did carve out time to watch this. And no, it's really, really funny. Uh, the troops are really solid. Uh, and yeah, no, it's really easy to draw the parallels to Key and Peel, given the topicality of the humor, the identity-based humor, and then just the high production values of it that really hearken to a lot of the Key and Peel stuff. Um, but it's also just really distinct as well, just based on gender, really. Um, and their approach to stuff, particularly in this case, Invisible Spy 2 is really, really good about that, I think. Um, but also, like you were saying, the makeup is also really, really solid at it. And just the entire episode, I think, does a really good job of dealing with race and gender in really productive ways, but also really, really funny ways as well. And so, yeah, it's really funny. It's 
it's not necessarily as like overly biting sometimes, but I'm okay with that. Um, because you can, you can do that at other times. Um, but you can also do just, I appreciate that they also allow for really ridiculous stuff like the security camera sequence, which is just delightful. And then the cap to that, that, that sketch is just so good. Stabbing is my cardio. It's just <laughs> very good. And who they have to come on to do that is also deeply funny. Um, so I think it's really, really good. Um, put this on your DVRs, everyone. It's just, it's really good. There's only six episodes in the season, which I wasn't aware of. Um, but I was very happy to see that um, certain of these you know, sketches are going to be recurring threads. So like this Trinity spy, like that, she was in the first episode and, and that they continued that thread in the second episode. The like post-apocalyptic thing is in the first and the second. So like, so the idea of like having some recurring characters and sketches, that's another, you know, common sketch show thing. But because there's only six episodes, I now kind of anticipate we'll be seeing certain of these characters in most of the sketches of the season while still having like, especially anything that has a guest star like Angela Bassett in the first episode. Um, I leave that to be discovered, but some fun guest stars pop up in the second episode too. Um, those are the ones that I would anticipate not repeating or not not coming back at least uh, until maybe a second season but yeah i what i didn't realize that they were gonna have like trinity be i said the name the spies yes. be a recurring sketch and i was like oh i am very down for this i am very very down for this no it's very good and it's also just generally really smart from a production standpoint as well because it cuts down on the amount that you need to budget out for something brand new you can keep you can just use that which is going to be cheaper but it also allows them to really develop jokes um through the premise which i think is really also can really pay off um now i just really need to go back and watch the premiere to see how they're building that stuff because that should be really good yeah i look forward to your thoughts any other thoughts on this uh premiere or second episode i should say (sighs) no no it's just it's very funny and i i laughed a good bit yeah very happy it's on right now. Also very happy that I finally got off my butt and watched season one of Kim's Convenience on Netflix. There have been three seasons so far. Next season is going to be season four, and all three seasons are available on Netflix. I want to see like 13 episodes each. Each, yes. And this was one that you've been singing the praises of for, like, I guess the last three years. I don't know exactly when you No, no. I didn't start watching it until, like, this winter, spring, during... I actually watched season three first while it was airing on CBC. Okay. And then I went back and watched seasons one and two immediately after. Okay. Well, it will have um, gotten... Uh, sort of on the radar of some TV fans because it's the show that's paired with Schitt's Creek. Um, they're, they share a time slot or, or time slot partners or whatever. And also because one of the cast members was just cast as one of the leads in the one of the new Marvel Phase 5, is it? Um, move, four. Four. I don't know. Yeah. The next round of um, movies. Yeah. Uh, and I saw some ridiculous thing going around Twitter about questions of whether he was hot enough and like... That's insane. Have you seen this person? They're ridiculously... Very gr- hot. It's like a whole subplot yeah. in the first <laughs> season of how gorgeous he is and how that can be challenging to work with, but you gotta be professional. Um, yeah, that's that's funny. 
uh, the ridiculous and absurd and hilarious to me. Anyways, the first season of this, uh, I I really enjoyed. Uh, I, this is one that I look forward to recommending to some friends and family. This is a show uh, set in, I want to say Toronto, um, yeah. about a family who owns a convenience store, hence Kim's Convenience. The, the mom and dad are Korean immigrants, and they have two kids. One is a photographer uh, who's in art school. She's 20, I want to say, in the first season. And then their son, who's estranged from the family, is 24 and works at a, at a car rental place. And so it's just, you know ins and outs of working at the store and day-to-day life and they you know build out their friends and their their like community the mom's very involved at church the the dad has business like friend like other friends who have local other local businesses you get to know the the roommates and friends of the the kids as well and it's just very much a character you know it's just a sitcom character piece kind of thing about this family and it's just delightful and really fun with excellent performances and uh some some of the cast i recognize the actor who plays uh, uh, Mr. Kim. I can't remember his name, but I've seen him in a bunch of things, and he's always really good. He's very good here. Um, the whole the whole ensemble is very good. I recognize the friend, Janet's friend from art school, who the woman. I don't know, remember what I recognize her from, but I definitely recognize her from something, and she's fun. She's good when she pops up. But the rest of the cast I wasn't really familiar with, and I'm glad that I am now because they are delightful. But it's it's very you know it, like pairing this with Shit's Creek I think goes really nicely because they're both very positive overall uh, gentle uplift kind people but like w- who have some edges to them about certain things it's not completely um nothing things aren't completely sanded over like like the tension between the son and the dad like that has led for them to be estranged for like five years maybe eight yes. years, something like that. A long time. They haven't even spoken. Like, that pain is real and and um, and very much felt. But the, in the day-to-day, that doesn't come up, and, you know, in the same kind of way. It's like it lingers and it's there, but it informs what's happening um, in a very authentic way, in a very genuine way. It's just, it's just a funny show. It, like, this is the kind of show where the premiere, um, because Mr. Kim is worried about being called homophobic, uh, he says that he has a gay discount for uh, Pride Week, and but he doesn't advertise it, but people have been telling each other, and how do you prove that you're gay? He just knows, because apparently he has gaydar. <laughs> he didn't really know that was a thing, but yeah, he can just tell. And like, so that's the kind of show that this is, um, people talking themselves into trouble and then get, you know, just the consequences of that. It's a very, it's a very warm and silly and ridiculous, but also heartfelt kind of show. Yeah, and I think a lot of that comes from the fact that it's originally based on a stage play first, um, where um, Paul Sun Hung Lee, who plays Appa, Mr. Mm-hmm. Kim, and um, Jean Yoon, who plays uh, Amma, um, both originated those roles on stage and then came uh... over for the television show. And a lot of the first season, based on what I've read, is sort of a expanded version of a lot of the uh ins and outs of the play mm-hmm. um based on just what i've read which i think is also really interesting and then they've just expanded into a sitcom but i think that's where a lot of the 
sort of the thing that you were talking about, the way that the tension between Appa and between uh, Jung, his son, uh, kind of comes through is because of it being on the stage, this idea of it's lived in already and we're coming into it. And it flares up sometimes and then it just kind of ebbs. And so I think that that carries through a lot within season one in particular. And then season two and three kind of settle into a more family-based sitcom with various fun hijinks of with the community that especially gets really fleshed out. Um, all the folks, like you said, who own businesses in the neighborhood who hang out with Mr. Kim. Um, but then we get more time also with uh, the car rental folks, um, Shannon and Kim Chi. Oh, Shannon's so thirsty. She's so thirsty. Um, but I love Shannon very, very much. Um, just she's so thirsty. Uh, yeah, it's 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 difficult. It's difficult. I appreciate the them showing that, and then also showing her acknowledgement of that and the like inappropriate. Like yeah. I like they. It, there's a level of awareness. And a real attempt to combat that, that I really appreciate that you often don't see that restraint in the same way in these, in like these kind of uh, workplace sitcoms. Um, that usually makes the person the punchline instead of it being one aspect of the character, um, or allowed to be like a more relatable element as opposed to just being a creeper. So, yes, right. And she, she, I mean, she does veer into that territory sometimes. Yeah. Um, pretty hard sometimes, but at the same time, like the degree to which they are able to keep that in a place that you don't dislike her or like, that's a really delicate balancing act that they do a really nice job of across the the series so far. Um, so are you going to watch the next two seasons when you have some time? Yes. I'm guessing yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. I I literally watched season one yesterday as we record all in a day. While I was working and doing things, but like, yeah. yeah, it was like, like my phone has like a new setting where if you are using the phone for X number of hours, it'll be like, are you sure you don't want to like put that down and go interact with the world? Like, hey, phone, stop judging me. I am <laughs> multitasking and I am working. And uh, yeah, I'm going to watch another three hours of Kim's Convenience and I don't need you to judge me. So there you go. I don't appreciate your attempts to help me. Live a more zen life, whatever. Um, that's my, that's a me thing, listeners. I am sure some of you can relate. Let's move on to a very different, <laughs> a very different kind of show here, which is the Terror Infamy, which has premiere much anticipated, certainly by us, very much by me, especially after Comic Con. Uh, the the premiere is a sparrow in a swallow's nest, and uh, I wish I liked it more. It's sort of where I'm at with it. What did what did you think? It's a really heavy setup episode, um, which is sort of like its biggest problem. Um, there's a couple of good creepy things in it, um, particularly I think the out of focus but very clearly present um, Yure swing swinging down the docks um, while um, Chester and I can't remember her name have a conversation following the dinner. Um, she's in the background. My person did not notice her just kind of out of focus swing in the background. I just went, yee, but I, do I need that... to rewatch that. Cause I didn't either. Oh yeah. No, she's there in the background while they're talking about her, mm-hmm. um, or talking about 
like the woman who committed suicide and then that ghost is there in the background just very out of focus and then just disappears it's very good um but no i agree even that this is just there's a lot of because of the fact that we need to establish all these characters in a way plus get to the very writerly sort of climax of the episode which i think is the biggest problem here is that it very much wants to do the pearl harbor thing at the end and everything's delayed basically until then so i think that the episode itself is fine but because it's so much set up and because they want to get to that point in which they have the fbi fbi taking um most of the men away from this town um that it just it's it feels like delay delay to delay sort of thing and that's a little frustrating from an audience perspective but i'm still keen on watching more of this um i um well what did you think of the opening i like the opening a lot actually um i th- i think that we need like a little more context <laughs> um narratively speaking but i do like it from sort of a cringe sort of perspective but also from just a sheer beauty perspective as well because that wide shot of her walking down the dock is real good um but yeah it, it's just rough but it also like i think nicely sets up like some of the other body horror that comes at that bookmarks at the end a little bit um, so I, I generally worked pretty well for me. I was sort of like, I know where this is going already type of thing, uh, with it. Yeah. I thought it was terrific. And that's yeah. the scene that they showed at Comic-Con, right? right. And into the credits, which I also think are, the credits are really good. And then I was like, okay, let's do this. And they go into the funeral at the beginning of the episode and we get that creepy body horror thing with his yes. arm and then nothing for way too long. And the trouble is by the end of the pilot i didn't really care about most of the characters yes i care like i am all down for a slow i mean come on we were just talking about the i was talking about how he made you watch the leftovers i'm here for a ponderous character study as much if not way more than your average like overly involved tv viewer but i gotta be captivated by those characters i gotta want to to really spend time with those characters by the end. And for me, the, like, the most interesting thing about Chester by the end was just that he's kind of a dick. And, yeah. you know, like, I guess we're going to watch him go through a journey on that. Like, but I didn't feel like there was anywhere near the specificity required to make most of the characters feel like individuals. And, I mean, I feel like the sister is more of a... Like, I felt like I had a sense of her more by the end but I, just there's too many types and not enough specifics and when i think of season one of the tear it also does a lot of setup but it, it hits the atmos- atmospherics right away and then it's there's a lot of like flashbacks and setups but i was really invested in the performances and in the characters right off the bat and in this so far in the premiere i'm invested in a few of the characters are interested. I wouldn't even say invested. I'm interested in a few of the characters. And I think some of the visuals are gorgeous. But that's about it. They Like, I should care about Chester and his girlfriend. And I don't. I should be, like, interested in... Like, I should have got some sense of, of chemistry with them. And I didn't. Um, and that's down to the some of the writing and the directing. And maybe even the editing. But, like, that... I'm not. I'm not invested, and that's going to clearly be a big part of the season. Um, 
yeah, I mean, I'm like, oh, there's George Takei. He's awesome. And he is so, but also like the, <laughs> the performance that he's giving, like there, I could tell that there is a fully developed character there. Like just by the way he sits on the boat, I'm like, okay, I, you know, I'm, I'm connecting with this specific performance. Um, and I was getting some of that from the dad as well. And, uh, but, but for a lot of these characters, just, we didn't, they did, they weren't given enough that to make me care about them. It felt like I know that I'm supposed to care about them because of what I know is going to happen because of the historical setting. And, and like there was such a reverence to to the importance of that topic of that a history of like establishing the world that these characters live in because it's about to be pulled away from them that they didn't the the, the they didn't just invest enough in like maybe there was like an assumed buy-in that we're gonna care about these characters because we know what's going to happen to them as opposed to showing why like this individual as opposed to this group of people is someone worth spending these hours with I think that's fair. Um, and I don't disagree in that I don't necessarily care about anyone beyond just that I'm supposed to sort of deal. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm more willing to kind of go with that since so much of this is up until the end really about normal inciting incidents for these people who live these issues day in and day out. So there's not a grand revelatory sort of thing happening for them yet. Mm-hmm. And so I'm more interested in seeing what happens to them afterwards, which admittedly, like historically speaking, doesn't happen for like another two months um, or so for this particular community. This community was actually like one of the first to be um, taken to a concentration camp. And so I think, which is probably one of the reasons why they decided to focus on this community in part. Um, So I think that seeing how we will figure them out as a result of what happens to them, um, it's not the most compelling reason, I think, or the best choice, because then we just know them as the people who live in the concentration camp as opposed to who they were beforehand. But you can't really do that unless you're going to spend like two to three episodes with them prior to being, um, whatchamacallit, even like prior to Pearl Harbor, basically. So I think that there's just an economy of story happening that maybe doesn't work. But I do think that you are correct in that some of the performances do imply like a greater depth of character that maybe we're not getting like... Takei very much has a very clear idea about who this man is and whether or not that's just him or the writers were just like this is who he is but we're just not going to explore it who knows same thing with the dad I think as well and that there's a very that actor has a really clear concept of who this person is um and I think that that's really strong and I think the rest of it is boils down to maybe we'll figure it out um I guess for me, what it helped is that there was enough sort of the kind of spooky um, Japanese ghost story type stuff to carry me through. So there was the stuff on the docks. Um, There was this little bit at the end with her taking off her makeup and sewing her skin back on um, (laughs) to and then the makeup hiding the decay for me was also really, really good because it for me, it recalled like a kabuki sort of an approach to that. And I really, really liked that. But I also just my partner and I spent the entirety of that tea 
<laughs> tea drinking sequence um, in the brothel going, do not have, do not have tea with her. No, Chester, do not do it. Did they not tell you any ghost stories from the old country? Do not do this. Do not go back up there with her. No. What are you doing? Stop it. Well, um, it, it is defense. Chester's very stupid. No, he is. He's very stupid. He's very young. Um, he's he's like he's just like the cookie cutter of like uh, impetuous, rebellious young. He's he's too old to be acting the way that he's acting. You just yeah. don't get it, Dad. Why don't you man yeah. up? And like I don't like really. I mean, okay, but he's like he's he's too old for that shit. Yeah, he is. Um, and I think a lot of it just boils up to the fact that he's sort of in a semi-arrested development state. But I mean, because the show needs him to be because the show needs him to be. Um, So, I mean, I'm eager for more. um, And so I'm excited to keep watching, um, even if the pilot is kind of realized for me more on like spooky, scary stuff to get by than it does on really establishing character. See, and that's interesting because I, for me, the tr- I wanted there to be like if, like if you're not going to deliver in character, I need even more spooky, scary. And the fact that I yeah. didn't notice that there was a ghost hanging on the background, <laughs> you know, maybe that's part of it. Um, so I'll try to be more aware next episode, and I'm definitely going to keep watching. But um, yeah. yeah, I certainly I, I think it's also because I was like for me they showed one of the best parts of the pilot. Yeah, and certainly for me, the most effective scene, single scene, and most beautiful visually single scene of the whole pilot at Comic Con, and it was the first. And so I was like, I, I in my head, I was expecting and wanting the whole show to be at that level, and at least in the premiere for me wasn't. So <sighs> expectation is certainly one of those things. Well, Japanese ghost stories also just traditionally and mythology typically have these really kind of slow builds. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a lot of what they're hopefully tapping into with this in that they just build real slowly sometimes, um, both like in the mythology, but also in like film um, type of adaptations as well of stories. There's just a real slow, very quiet build. So that's something I'm looking forward. Um, that's something that I'm looking for as we go, as we go on. Okay. Well, I look forward to it. And, and I mean, as someone who knows nothing about J-Horror, I look forward to what you can, you know, guide me along on that, that aspect of the show too. Um, over on Pose, we had Life's Beach and next week is the finale. So I'm not going to linger too long on this, but, but Noel, if I told you, if, if Pose wasn't a thing, and I said, there's a TV episode about four transgender women of color who, in the, the was it, it's the early 90s, who go to the beach, to a beach house, and that's the episode. Which, what do you, would you expect to have happen? Would you expect it to be a really beautiful, warm, ultimately joyful episode or would you expect someone dead someone stabbed someone uh finding out they have aids etc etc which which would you expect i would expect a type of hate crime and probably an aids revelation at the end of the episode yes and instead we get pose and there's a, a, a complete awareness of the risk and the danger that these women are in they are not, they don't just pretend that they, you know, when, when, when the sexy lifeguard wants to take one of them on a walk on the beach, the other three immediately are like, uh, no, no, you can't go off on the beach with some random guy you just met. You don't, you know what's basically what cis guys are like. 
you know, they, no. and then when she goes, I'm going to do it. They go, okay, well, here's my taser and here's my knife. And here, you know, and so that yeah. she can have all of that stuff with her if she needs it. So like, there's an awareness uh, of, of the threat that these women have to deal with every day. Um, but it just does, it's, that's not what the show is. And it's just so great. It's so wonderful to watch, have this episode that is sort of bookended, at least the part where they go to the beach is bookended by, uh, singing in the the car, like like leaning out the windows, having this massive joyful sing along, and like you you like one of the characters looks in the rearview mirror. You're like, oh no, here's where they get pulled over by the the racist cop. Here's where they get you know the one character who's driving on a fake license. Here's, and but none of that happens. They just get to have a day at the beach, and it shouldn't be. It shouldn't feel like such a big deal, but it does. And it's beautifully done, and I really, really liked it. And I'll have more to say about Pose uh, season two next week after the finale, I would imagine. But <sighs> it's like, it's like I finished the episode, and I could just like exhale and then right. like just like think back and just enjoy how beautifully so much of it was shot and and uh, some of the choices and the writing and the the performances and everything. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't feel like I could really completely breathe even on this show until the till it was over and nobody was dead um and and only positive things had happened and and all the 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 uh horrible white lady had been read for filth (laughs) by by electra um so yeah it was it was it was a lovely episode glad that i was able to watch it i was uh less enthused by the clause finale finna but what i did appreciate and why i wanted to mention it is the way that it ends and do you mind if i spoil you Please go ahead, because I'm probably not going to circle back to this. Okay, so it ends with Quiet Anne burning down the casino with Joe. <laughs> and, and just, like, the two of them feeling, like, overlooked by their by him by the triad and her by Desna. And just being like, screw this, taking gasoline, dousing the place after they get everyone out of the casino. And then lighting it. And, and then Desna and Quiet Anne talking by the side <laughs> And basically, like, she might as well have been talking to the camera. She said, like, we got too big. <laughs> I pulled us back in. <laughs> kind of a thing. It's hilarious. Uh, the meta aspect of it is delightful. And while I'm still not okay with them burying their gaze, um, the fact that that we got quiet and to this antagonistic place with Desna, uh, I think is really fertile narrative ground for them so we'll see what that means for season uh four but yeah it felt very much like an awareness of no we need to go back to basics this is way too big let's just literally torch it burn it to the ground start over so we'll see what happens next if i come back which is maybe i won't we'll see Let's go over now to the elementary finale, series finale, The Last Bow. And I've been talking a while. You talk a while. What did you think of this series finale? And uh, I mean, maybe it's not fair, but how does it compare to their last series finale for you? It it does not compare to their last series finale um, because that last series finale is like chef's kiss perfect Mm -hmm. um, in terms of its execution, but also in terms of its actual like final sequence um, is just so good and pure and just really kind of beautiful and elegant, Um, which isn't to say that there isn't beauty and elegance in this finale, because there are really good moments in this finale, but it just doesn't feel as conclusive 
in a lot of ways, uh, but that's also just generally part of the course for this season. Um, it does... <laughs> One of the things that uh, you kind of get this feeling of with um, Doyle's stories is the fact that he just didn't want to keep writing these and then he had to. Um, and that kind of runs through this whole season in a lot of ways of like, all right, we're going to check off boxes. We're going to do good things occasionally. But at the same time, this idea would have been really good like five years ago for our big arc. Um, as you and I have discussed throughout the season, but also that the actual finale, while sweet, um, is weirdly meta in some places and then also wants to deal with Moriarty, but is shackled by the fact that it feels too much like an epilogue. And they're just like, well, we dealt with everyone else. We still have to deal with this one thing. And with it being sort of an epilogue and also with the fact that you just you don't have Natalie Dormer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That it just normally sometimes it works, but here there's just too much happening in too compressed of a time frame, which is weird because there's a three year time skip um, and then another year time skip um, that there's just a little there's too much going on to have like an overarching sort of um, pleasure in the episode, I think. And that really lessens the overall enjoyment of the episode. But when you get stuff like Sherlock just being like, I'm f***ing staying here. Um, you have cancer. Um, and then that just, that just, oh. All the feels. That, all of the feels. And then like, they're a little bit in the elevator as well um, with that just f***ing amazing wig. <laughs> uh, um... That kind of is those both of those like kind of not bookended scenes because there's a long sequence at the funeral um, to ferret out McNally, um, which God, bleh, um, that it's good in that we get those two sequences to sort of lead us with. Um, and so that's kind of where I ended up with it. Like this, this concept of it doesn't matter as long as we're together is literalized from what they did visually in the last finale, which Mm -hmm. worked better there. Um, But this commitment, this affirmation of their uh, relationship, both as, whatchamacallit, as partners uh, in detecting, but also like implied co-parents at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, God, how could you not? (laughs) Um, Is, I think, just generally really, really good. And so... Yeah, the episode as a whole is kind of meh and maybe just a little too cute in a couple of places. Like her whole casebook not collection of things is a nice little way to tie her back to this Joan to the source material, but it just feels a little too cute. Whereas um, naming her her adopted son Arthur is like kind of perfect in its cuteness. Um, it, it would be if it if there weren't already an Archie. So there's an Artie and an Archie. Yes. Yeah, no, that's super fair. That's super fair. I think that's fair. Um, and they were both missing from this finale, which made me a little disappointed as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think just generally it's fine, but it also feels very much like a, well, we had our finale. I guess we can do another one, but it's not going to be as good, everyone. We're sorry about that, but... Here's a, here, here's a bunch of stuff. 
Yeah. Um, we hope you enjoy it. Um, but thank you for watching. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was so uh, stoked when I saw that they were in like some of the like write-ups or whatever leading in that, that they were going to bring back Moriarty or at least yeah. the specter of Moriarty for this finale. It's like, oh, that's a great way to, to like yeah. be like, oh, Odin Reichenbach, you, that's adorable. You think you're the arch nemesis, but like, I mean, we all know what, <laughs> what, what the real situation is. Um, and then it's just not that. And it's so, it's under, it's so underwhelming. The overall conceit of the episode, I think really suffers like, like the, like jumping three years in the future could give you some things, but what they end up ultimately doing is just monologuing at each other and filling in gaps and just talking a lot and saying what yeah. that they were doing through that time. And that's not interesting. Show, don't tell, show. And um, yes, these actors are very good, but if you have entire scenes, like pages of monologue, of, and then I did this, and then I did this, and then I did this over that three years then it it really takes away from that lovely scene we get with uh Sherlock and the captain where he's talking mm-hmm. about his his relapse and, and cuz that was also that like save the sit and talk for that situation and for the I'm not leaving I'm staying you know with Joan um s- save those moments that time for that and just instead let them be Instead of talking at each other, um, I enjoyed the notion that Joan was just being kind of petty, so she put all his business out there just to piss him off. I thought that was a fun twist on it. It was my tribute. No, it wasn't. You know that, which is delightful. Um, I I don't know that I believe that she's that petty, but I and like in that moment, I thought the Lou's performance sold me on that, which was lovely. I liked. Um, uh, Marcus being the captain, even if I didn't really believe it, um, he's too young. Um, but you know, at least based on who they've always shown as the captains on this show, um, but you know, that's a nice way to show the span of time. I thought that the convenient cancer was um, irritating, but at least they very quickly gave her a clean bill of health. I also thought that the funeral fake out was cheap and not worth it, um, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would have liked more. I would have liked different, but as a whole, you know, I've really enjoyed my time with Elementary. And, you know, like I've said before, if you had told me back in season one, season two, season three, that this would ultimately wind up as my favorite interpretation of these characters, I would have laughed at you a lot. <laughs> and so I think it really speaks to the overall achievement of the show and specifically of of the performances, of the lead performances, that these interpretations, even if I don't really care for this finale in a meaningful way, I am very, very connected and very uh, invested in this version of Sherlock and this version of, of Watson. And uh, they've become definitive for me. And so, I mean, that that... I don't think you can give higher praise to a figure so readily and frequently um, imagined and and portrayed as these than to say that. No, and I think you're correct. Um, even like especially for me, I do think that these are very definitive sort of and and like definitive and modern sort of approaches to the character as well. Mm-hmm. Um, which I mean, not which isn't to say that there haven't been like a number of sort of mo- modern like either in sensibilities or um, in setting. So like the Robert Downey Jr. Jude Law is time appropriate, but is deeply anachronistic. 
um, in both aesthetics, but also just in its sort of general demeanor. Um, whereas like Moffat, uh, Sherlock is contemporary and also just deeply in meshed in Moffat-iness, um, that drives it, separates it in a different way from the source material. And then something like Ms. Sherlock, um, over in Japan that re rejiggers that a little bit. Um, or there's also an anime with, that has Holmes in it as well to, in a weird sort of sense um, that this just feels really definitive in part because it's draws really heavily on the source material, but also really heavily just remixes the source material in really productive ways that finds ways of maintaining Holmes's arrogance and edge, but also understandably softening it over time in a way that, changes him without changing our perception of who he is uh, at a core sort of level or, or idea of what Holmes is. Um, and I think that's really good. And the way that they like slowly do that, I think over the course of, particularly over the course of like the first four seasons, um, by season five, he's kind of locked into who he is. Um, but I think that there's just, there's just such care given to both of them and very specifically their decision to not entangle either of them as a romance with one another was also just the best possible decision to make. Um, and then, yeah, just really good performances from two very good actors and just, yeah, it was just a really good show. And I think that the other thing, and I'm sure we said this last year around <laughs> this time, is just the fact that this is also a show that took discussing addiction really, really seriously and did really good stories about the arduous nature of recovery and the fact that you're always in recovery, even if this season in particular did not even like try um like he I don't he never went to a meeting I think this this season um but that that was always a consistent part of their representation of Sherlock Holmes and this particular version I think it was always like the strongest aspect on a narrative level um for the show um and I think that's also like the biggest takeaway apart from the definitiveness of the interpretation is retreated addiction like you should always kind of treat addiction, at least within the confines of a police procedural. But we did a really good job with it, I think. Yeah, that is the defining characteristic of Holmes and the in elementary. Each each version of Holmes, Sherlock Holmes, has a different, like defining and core character trait or driving element to the interpretation of the character, and by extension, the tone of the show, and. It took me a while to realize that's what was at the heart of of this version was taking his status as an addict and his his recovery and like taking that very very seriously and putting that not just as like an aspect to the character but as a defining central tenet taking it so seriously and treating with such respect. Um, when I started to like kind of put that together and realize I was like, ah, that's why I actually care about this person as a character, as opposed to a gimmick or punchline machine. Ah, cause they feel like an actual person, like how an actual person would respond to some of these struggles, not like a super a hero who like, 
you know, don't notice the fact that he's getting high, you know, to, yeah. to, to, to try to nerf his, his abilities. Um, yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. And it's been, you know, I'm not, like I said, I don't really care about this finale all that much, but I really, really did care for the show, really did enjoy the show. And I stuck, like, I, when's the last time one of us stuck with a procedural for seven full seasons? Like, I didn't miss an episode. I mean, I stuck with Law and Order for a long time. Um, yes, but not during peak TV. <laughs> no, no. Um, well, sort of. Like, I was still watching Law and Order up until the very end. And I even watched Law and Order in Los Angeles, so that's how... Lolo, man, they tried so hard to make that a thing. Oh, skeet. It was oh, not skeet. a thing. It wasn't time yet, man. It wasn't time. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, no, but also they're just not making, they don't, like, really invest in procedurals like this anymore, or, like, CBS keeps doing it, but they're also just grounded in a different... Not very good? They're not very good, but they're also grounded in an ideology that I'm not interested in being exposed to, I think is the other thing. Um, like, I'm just not, and this is a very different sort of approach to... It's a very now classic I think, um, approach to a procedural that other shows aren't interested in doing anymore. And this was maybe, I think, like the last one. Um, I'd have to like go through my brain because Castle's gone too. Bones is gone. Um, yeah, but yeah. those were so defined by the will they won't they at the heart. Yes. You but, know? They're, but they're also defined, I think, by their those procedural beats as well. Yes, there's the will they won't they type of stuff. But there's also all right, what kind of weird and genius sort of thing can we do to kill someone this week um, type of deal? Or what kind, at least especially with an elementary case, what thing from the headlines, what five things from headlines yeah. can we do to do five red herrings in a single episode? Was that Alan Cummings show were anywhere near this? Right. Like I, I tried so hard, listeners. I really did. It was just so bad i had to stop watching it and instinct might be like the last one in terms but it's not it wasn't good so takes a lot to get me to not watch an alan cumming show yeah it's not good because it's still on like their second season i think is still currently running or winding down i think i can't quite remember Mm -hmm. um so yeah oh i want to think about this some more but we can do that i can do that off mic um so well what what would you reckon tv um, Black Lady Sketch Show, because I also forgot to mention the basic ball. Oh my god, it was so good. <laughs> it was so perfect. Um, I almost brought it up while you were fit- talking about Pose, but the basic ball is real good, and I'm gonna need RuPaul to, like, steal that, and just <laughs> make make the contestants do a basic ball, uh, because it was good. It yeah. was, it was, there was a lot of realness. Yeah. First, I need Billy Porter to do SNL. Or I need SNL to to reach out to Billy Porter to do SNL because he'd do it. They have to yeah. want him to do it. And then I need them to do something like this and it would just be amazing. So yes, when please. she when she did a so subdued death drop into a nap, <laughs> I just I just I felt I felt my soul leave my body because there was nothing left to live for. <laughs> uh, so Black Lady Sketch Show wins my week in TV this week, specifically, I think, for Basic Ball. Uh, but what about you? What won your week in TV? <sighs> I watched a lot of good stuff this week, guys. You did. I think it's Sugar Rush is what I think it is. <laughs> well, no, it's definitely not Sugar Rush. Um, but I guess I, I guess I'll give it to Pose. Sure. Though I did really love uh, Kim's Convenience and also Black Lady Sketch Show. 
Um, yeah. Yeah, I will give it to Pose, but there was a lot of good TV this week. <sighs> now we'll take a break and we'll come back with our season spotlight on Glow Season 3. That was the trailer for season three of Netflix's Glow, um, the the ladies wrestling show now back for its Vegas set third season. Um, I was fond but not over the moon about season one, less enthused with season two than most other people. Um, I found myself actually really enjoying season three of this. I thought it was a real step up, and I'm curious what you think about that because what I've been seeing from other people is that they weren't as as, as fond of season three. And I'm curious if that is like a one for one or just, you know, a coincidence. So what what did you think? Let's remind listeners what you thought of season one and season two. And where did you fall in season three? I remember really liking season one. I have no idea what I thought about season two, but I do know that in both instances, I always liked those seasons more than you did. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things after I finished season one was, all right, Kate has always been lukewarm to, eh, about this show. I feel like she's going to like season three. And I'm not quite sure like why, but in my brain, I was just like, she's going to like this. So I was glad that I've, we're, we've been doing this long enough that I have a good sense <laughs> of things. Um, I really, really liked this season as well. I think that this is 
a really big swing of a season from the um, from uh, Liz uh, Flahive and um, Carly Minch, um in terms of all right, we're not going to do the wrestling as the emphasis anymore. And we're going to deal with these women, but we're also very specifically going to deal with these women in this situation of everything's going well. What does that mean? And how does that work? And especially in this sort of a setting and in this kind of a repetitious sort of nature of we're not doing a new show every week. We're doing the same show six days a week. Um, What does that mean? And... I really like that approach, and I like that idea of a big swing. I know a number of people did not care for the lack of wrestling this season. To those people, I say, yes, but also that camping episode and also that finale. Um, mm-hmm. In part because, yes, the <laughs> the Scrooge Christmas wrestling sequence is just perfect. <laughs> oh, I but love the biddies so much. <laughs> they're, it's so good. But I think that there's just a number of other things happening on a character level that I think just really elevate this season in a way that I don't care that there's less fresh new wrestling type stuff happening every every episode because of the other stuff that we're getting. Um, even if a number of those things get dropped and un- go relatively very undeveloped. Or or basically one-off sort of plot lines that should not be one-off plot lines. Um, that they just kind of happen in their episode and then never, ever resurface. And that's that's arguably the biggest flaw of the show this season, is that there are a number of little plot lines that just don't go past their on time. And that's a little frustrating on a show that generally does... I, especially in a season, I should say, that is as character-focused as the season is. So that's where I landed on it. And so I really, really liked it. And I am I really want the algorithm to give it a season four because the big swing that they take at the end of this season and what they want to do going forward is just deeply, deeply exciting to me. Yeah, I definitely agree. I would really like to see uh, the next season, if only to see Toby Huss as the villain and antagonist, because you know he's going to be so good. (laughs) When he showed up, I lost my shit. And then he disappeared for like five episodes. And then Mm -hmm. he came back and I just went, I like this. And then I realized what was going to happen in like as it was about to happen. Uh And I just went, yes. And then she and then and and then. Kate, Debbie name-dropped what Ted Turner did by buying the Braves, and I just, the Atlanta native in me just got so f***ing happy. Because <laughs> <laughs> oh. that's exactly what he did. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, yeah, no, the, this season, you know, I've been I've been somewhat puzzled um, when I see people less enthused about this season, until I remember, oh, right, all the things that other people thought were the best things about this show were the parts of the show that I was going, I mean, it's fine. And that is, a, like, the, the Mark Maron performance, which is very good, don't get me wrong, but I wasn't like, mind blown, he can act, because, like, I've seen him act in things before, and he does a good job with this character, with this type of character, and he does a good job this season. I'm so not invested in the Sam and Ruth stuff at all, which was a huge presence in season two, and it's all but gone here, but addressed in such a powerful and potent way, that hot tub scene. Oh my god. It's just, 
Yeah, it's so deeply uncomfortable and so deeply, like you said, just really powerful and potent. Yeah, it's great. It's really, really good. And then, like, you know. it caps off really nicely. Oh, I know, right? (laughs) Well, and then that pays off later. There was such a, for me, well, yes, there are certain storylines that were not, like, returned to yet. And I think they will be if they get a season four. And the way that scene ends uh, with with Tammy and then becomes like a whole other thing in her yeah. like spotlight episode um where you realize why she's in the hot tub um it's just it's awesome it's great uh the tension like everybody else seems to love the the breaking the leg and then the hospital like big that big fight with debbie and ruth in season two and they love that episode and i was just like completely uninvested didn't care at all about that and the all the tension and fighting between them is really on the back burner there's still that history there but it's much more invested in them as co-workers and and people who have this kind of history that can and who can rely on each other if they really need to um, and just building from there which in a way that's just much more interesting for me so while i did miss some of the wrestling what we gained instead, I thought was just wonderful. I was just so much more interested in getting to know Sheila uh, through Bobby, you know, yeah. which was amazing. I was so much more interested in like, yes, it didn't really like they, you had to buy into Rhonda all of a sudden being in, in love with Bash, which I didn't, I thought was stupid. But what that gave us was a lot of, if you could buy in that gave us a really interesting set of storylines with the two of them through that's gonna lead into the next season um yeah it was just you know that the you talked about the desert episode everything with with mel like it hadn't hit me how close in time because like it's like oh it's a period piece but i'm thinking oh it's 80s it's like the the all the the trappings i'm not thinking oh one generation from the holocaust you know like so when we have that scene around the campfire um, and we have these different characters talking about the immediacy of that and what that really means to them and, and show that uh, could, you know, you could not, but engage in with the, the just horribly racist tropes around wrestling. Uh, I mean, still, but certainly at this time, which we had fun discussing <laughs> when we did our, when we did our WWE raw uh, 25th anniversary episode. I mean, that's, you know, so to, to then take us, I mean, two seasons later to have that episode and the way they engage with, um, with, with these things, spe- specifically around the character of fortune cookie, I thought was just wonderful. These are the kinds of stories that I'm much, much more interested in than you slept with my husband. And you like, this is just infinitely more interesting to me. And so I really like <laughs> watching Debbie try to parent while also produce. And the baby's just like, elevators are fun. <laughs> like I've, I've babies had enough kids to really enjoy that. That elevator thing is just so also really perfectly eighties and like, mm-hmm. especially like late eighties in terms of like a look who's talking sort of thing. Even though yeah. I think look who's talking was like early nineties, early nineties, but still. It doesn't matter because it like immediately calls that back. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just really delightful. Um, and also just the fact that it feels like they just set up set up the camera and just let the kid go. Mm-hmm. So he's just like playing with the rope and then the rope doesn't work and mm-hmm. just all this sort of stuff. And I just went, 
that kid's good at improv. That kid gets it. He 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 is very enmeshed in what this what this baby's motivations are. Um, yeah, the the baby apparently was two twin girls, and they were not interested in playing well with others. Elson Brie talked about because she directed that episode. Talked about it on one of the late night shows. Um, which is like it works for the a baby that won't stop crying. We're gonna make it be a crying baby in this age now, uh, which worked really well. For which I think it was yes. the Toby Huss introduction scene. They were talking about reintroduction. Like, yeah. Yeah, I was like, oh, the baby wasn't supposed to be crying. It works so much better that the baby won't shut up. That's yeah, no, it's yeah. it's a really beautiful scene. Um, in that way, yeah, um, yeah, it's just, yeah, I think that it sort of reminds me to a certain degree of like Orange Is the New Black and the idea that okay, we've done our premise type stuff, we've done a lot of prison stuff, mm-hmm. and now let's do other things and let's talk about it through the lens of these characters. And I think that that. All right, we've done our two seasons of wrestling and the kind of scrappiness, and they've had success in that they had a year-long run in Vegas that now can be parlayed into other things, but also like dealing with the nature of that success, and but also the precariousness of their lives still. Like again, with Tammy being like, uh, "It's only it's only two more months. I can get through it for two more months," yeah. and it's like. No, it's nine more months. Yeah. Well, and the fact that it's not just a paycheck, it's also this creative fulfillment, you know? Yes. And like yeah. the paycheck is a reason enough that many people do put themselves through that kind of pain yeah. and like potential long term damage to their body. But when they circle that back around and tie it in with these other with with Debbie and these other characters too, um, who came to or like even Sheila came to performing later later on after not realizing how much they needed that. Like, it was really powerful. Yeah, and also, like, the flip side of that, of the ennui of doing the same show over and over again. And what that means for someone like Ruth, um, Mm -hmm. that sequence in which we just watch Ruth take off her makeup while everything is sped up behind her, um, which is really beautifully done on both just an overall aesthetics, because we've seen that kind of a shot God knows how many times. But the fact that there's that slow kind of push in on her that continually, as it goes in closer, really emphasizes the green screen um, overlay of it. Um, The, of her, then all the emotion in the back really emphasizes how much of her, of this is happening without her there. Um, Is also just really good on like a thematic level. And I really appreciated that little kind of attention to detail. So like the fact that Ruth is looking for something, anything different, really, because Sam's not here, um, in part to, like, maybe push them forward. Um, But also this idea that Carmen also feels like, no, I'm really good at this, and I need to stretch myself. And Sheila also going, like, having various identity epiphanies here, um, all of which are handled really beautifully across the entire season um, are just really, really good. And I think that is one of the things that kind of carries you through is like self-discovery versus sort of wanting to coast to a certain degree. And that degree, how, sorry, how you, how they navigate that, I think it's just really, really good. And the fact that they took that step back to discuss that, I think, and explore that. I think it's just really good. And to then cap it off with the final scene at the airport 
it's just really well structured. Yeah. Well, you talk about, you know, the exploration of these different roles. I mean, we got to talk about a little bit about Arthi as well and, mm-hmm. and, and her journey over the course of the season and the, I mean, we already mentioned Bobby who was such a great, like introduction, like like I would never have thought who's gonna be how we connect with Sheila. Who's gonna see and immediately understand Sheila, a drag queen? Of course. As soon as it happened, I was like, oh, brilliant. Of course, that makes sense. Like, well done. Um, but then to tie that in, keep that character around beyond just that one scene, tie that into Sheila's development, then get everybody down to the drag show and. Then get them involved in the, you know, give, get Debbie connected to, you know, develop her as a producer, get, uh, the, that to the hate crime. It was a great, it's a great show until the hate crime. Um, uh, leading, pushing her to identify vocally as lesbian, as, as, as queer. And at first I was like, I just hope this isn't going to turn into like a like a by negating kind of thing because I wasn't sure exactly where they were going yeah. with it. And then to have it be like, no, it's not that. It's not that she's because you know there was a really. I mean, I thought it was well handled moment on Grey's Anatomy where they had Doctor Han with uh with with Saramir's character with Callie and Doctor Han like talked about like how life changing it was for her. Uh, to be with Callie and to just like realize, have everything click in and realize that she's gay and, 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 and all this stuff. And now all of a sudden like, she talks about the writing in that scene is so great. She talked about like, all of a sudden I can see the colors, the leaves are green. I can see that. And Callie just doesn't, can't connect to that because that isn't her experience. And because she, and then the, 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 the character's by and, uh, and, and it's just a different, you know, experience for her. And, and like the, that there's like the space and lack of connection there. Um, Listeners, if you remember it better than I do, reach out. Let me know if I'm remembering it wrong. But that was a really powerful and interesting dynamic on that show. Um, and so I thought maybe they're going to do something with that here. But no, it's not that. It's just straightforward self-awareness and the courage to come out and to to really be authentically yourself. And connecting Arthie's journey with that over the season with so many other characters it was so it was great. I loved it. I had I I love so much about the season. I haven't even talked about Gina Davis yet. And damn Gina Davis. Damn. Yeah. yeah, um my favorite bit about this is that prior to like fully fleshing out what the season was going to be, um was Gina Davis like was talking with them and was just like, well, if she's the next showgirl, I would just really love to be dressed as a showgirl at some point. And they just kind of filed that away and then figured out episode nine mm-hmm. and went, oh, well, we can make that happen. <laughs> I love that that was her idea. Oh, my God. Yeah, amazing. no, it's so good. And no, I think that given the fact that uh, Sandy Devereaux St. Cl- Clair, which is just the best 80s name mm-hmm. for a character um i think is just she's really really good in what limited sort of scene time that she gets like she's very periphery uh prefer on the peripheral um to a lot of this action but whenever she comes in it's fully realized it's fully fleshed out it's very clear about you understand this character immediately. And then each scene, you understand immediately where she's coming from in a very different way from some of the other sort of 
producer type characters that have mm-hmm. filtered through this show where they just feel really generic. This feels very specific. Yeah. No, she's terrific from her very first scene when she popped up. I was like, oh, I got Jeannie Davis. Oh, that's exciting. That's cool. She's going to pop in in like, you know, one or two episodes. And then she becomes this much stronger thread, which was, you know, great for the show. Gave them a lot to play off of. But to to have her in charge of the whole casino adds a very interesting dynamic um, to all the gender politics that are yes. going on. And I just, it was a, it was a nice change of pace. It would be too easy for like, I like that they wanted to change that up in the third season. Cause of course, when we first were imagining what season three would be, I, I figured that Horatio Sands would be much more present seeing as he's the one who scouted them for the casino. Um, and yeah. I did, you know, I would have liked to see him pop up, but um, instead to go with this very different, like, you know, worked her way up from being a showgirl to running the whole place kind of, you know, like connection point with Debbie and some of these other characters was really neat and, and uh, much more, uh, yeah, just much more interesting kind of way to, to freshen up the power dynamics um, amongst the characters. Yeah, it does. Um, which I, I guess like leads us to bash. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, I don't, I, I feel like bash in a lot of ways, they skate by on the fact that Chris Lowell is so good in this role. Yeah, he's really good. Listeners, if you like Chris Lowell in this, go watch Enlisted. He's so good. Oh, man, he's so good in Enlisted. It kind of hurts yeah. me to think about it. Yeah. Um, that they get by with sort of like the general sort of ups and downs of it um, because he's so good. But like when we're talking about like claiming an identity, being who you are, and then Bash just even now being like, I don't want to, I don't want to, mm-hmm. don't make me, I don't want to. And there's really, there's a lot of power in that as people just keep like realizing exactly what they want, except Bash knows exactly what he wants. He just can't. can't. Yeah. And even it's really, it's very potent. I think that it just takes us a little too long to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, and they rely too much on like the time skip to get us to that point uh which is like a just structural type of issue mm-hmm. but it's it works because lowell's real really good <laughs> um and like we've been saying provided the algorithm gives them a fourth season um it should yield hopefully really good results and i think part because they actually had him as a series regular this season as opposed to recurring which is what he was for the first two yeah and like it, it's just it's so it's so sad it's really really sad and i think that that helps the tone of the show as much as i don't want i don't i don't want him to be sad and i want him to to find the same acceptance that all these other characters have had it keeps it from feeling too wish fulfillmenty if everybody has these breakthroughs um if you know so so you know, and he's you know. Hopefully, if it gets another season, he'll he'll get to some level of acceptance with himself, and or just not loathing himself, which would be great. And and you know, just the line, because like when it goes back to you know, I don't basically he doesn't want to be gay, uh, but he just but the line of I don't want to die, just yeah. because he just instantly can only connect his sexuality with death. Because of his, yeah. you know, his friend. We don't know the level of their involvement, but some close, very close friend, perhaps lover, um, have, dying from AIDS. 
like that that's that's just being the only thing that he can connect that to um it felt really genuine and they you know nailed that moment nailed the delivery i thought um you know yeah it was it was it was a good if you're not gonna take if you're gonna go with that storyline for him it was a good balance to some of the other like or to make sure that there are other happier endings within that what do you yeah. think of uh, Justine's movie and uh, casting Ruth and all that? I kept waiting for Justine's movie to, like, I kept waiting for the bait and switch for that to happen in terms of, like, yeah. uh, he put her title page on his movie or yeah. some other version when he handed it to Ruth. And it was just like, that never happened. And I just went, oh, this is a relief. This is this feels really good. This is much better, and also it means that Mark Merrick cannot be here for a little while, because maybe he was off shooting that sword movie, mm-hmm. um, sort of truth movie that's uh, playing right now. Um, the casting stuff is fine. Like, I really appreciated the fact that when you watch that scene, you're very much with Justine in that, yeah, that was fine, but it did not work for what that what the sides were. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really appreciated that, um, but it... It needed to happen for us to have that last little bit to compound Ruth's realization that Sheila's a really good actor. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I liked it. Um, and I'm curious about what it means going forward. The only other thing I have to say about it is that <sighs> Top Gun was a Paramount movie and they were on the Universal lot for that scene. So I don't know why there were Top Gun extras wandering around that studio lot because <laughs> they were on the Universal lot. Yeah. I know because I looked up all the other things and <laughs> Out of the Africa was a universal movie, not a Paramount one. You <laughs> <laughs> just feel like the kind of thing they should have gotten right. Uh, did you have any other elements of the, the season you wanted to mention, other performances or moments that, that you enjoyed? Yeah, no, I think like my one of my favorite things and it's just stuck in my brain is Bash's sheer pleasure in shouting, you do watch TV. <laughs> <laughs> when he makes, when, her mom, when his mom makes that Falcon Crest joke, I just went, oh, oh, that feels so good. Mm-hmm. Um, but also it should feel really bad because it means that she watches television, just not your show, Bash. <laughs> um, she was never going to watch that show. No, she was, she was not. Um, yeah, no, I think everything like, we've hit on all the high points and so yeah no just dropping a number of plot points like um debbie's eating disorder um or um cherry's gambling addiction mm-hmm. which goes nowhere yeah um, um the a couple of those and then like a couple of other ones is just like kind of just yeah um but like you said can maybe come back in yeah. some capacity um but yeah it was just a really strong season and i really 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 liked this season a whole lot yeah i haven't said enough about carmen so i want to just yeah. again reiterate that she is lovely and wonderful and i hope i get to see uh much more of that actor and other on other things uh, Brittany young is the actor um and the uh I I was just so happy as second thing. I've got three things. Second thing, I was just so happy to see a show. Remember that adoption is a thing, you know? Yes. When when is it, Keith comes back at the end is like. Also, I looked into adoption because uh, it sounds like she's not against having a kid. She's against being pregnant and and everything that that would mean. And so the fact that they go, they don't forget that that isn't a thing. That that's there are more. There's more than one way to be a parent. 
uh, was something that was very nice. And still, it's sad that that still feels novel, you know? And we had that in the yeah. elementary finale as well with Joan. But, like, it shouldn't feel novel, but it does. And then the last thing I'll mention is how much... I just just adored the Sklar brothers as the tennis producers. I always enjoy them. And when they popped up, I was like, oh, this is perfect. Oh, this is just like just right for the tone. I did, it wasn't as fun as when they come up to perv on all the ladies. That was that didn't enjoy that as much. But just like their their like banter and back and forth, the the you see in some of their stand up or at least all the stand up I've seen of theirs, just worked so great for like a to contrast with <laughs> with Sam uh, and and uh, and Bash in that scene. I just really enjoyed it. Uh, so I wanted to give a shout out to that. Carmen just giving us pure Undertaker realness. Oh God, it was so good. I also was, of course, thinking very uh, um, uh, Princess Bride, Andre the Giant, oh, yeah, Andre the Giant, uh, Holocaust yeah. Cloak. Yeah. Yes, like yes. The, the, like the angles too. Yes. Right, it was that's, like her, that's was like, yes. such a good catch. Yes, yeah, it was, yeah. It was, it was like I didn't even think totally about that because yeah. like with the curly hair too. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, but oh, it is that's such a. Oh, you're so good. You're so very good, Kate. Well, but it's also very undertaken. And when she did the boom sit up, I of course thought of Kane. Um, yeah. So, so like, yeah, it was. It was, there was a lot of really great stuff um, with with Carmen and, and the few times <laughs> that we got to see actual wrestling. Um, so, so hopefully, like when she's like going off to do her own thing, I'm like, yes, that makes sense for the character. But also come back because we. Need, I need there to be more wrestling and good wrestling on the show, and they do that with your character. So be back next season, please. So hopefully, we'll see if there is a next season. Any, uh, you so you you want there to be a season four, right? I very much want a season four. Yes. Yeah. I'm like so enthused about the show now. Like I was, as you had said, I was very tepid. I was like, yeah, it's good. I mean, like it's just like good. I don't get all this overwhelming like emmy nominations best of the year kind of praise kind of thing for me those first two seasons not at all but this third season i like i just watched one after the next after the next and it was really engaged to keep watching um in a way that i certainly have not been for the first first two seasons so i'm super on board now watch they'll cancel it (laughs) but listeners let us know where you fall on glow season three versus the first two or just in general with your viewing this year um that yeah that wraps up our season spotlight a few show notes you can find a post for this episode over at the televerse org you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's tv you can like our page on facebook and start a conversation there you can also email us the televers at gmail.com and you can also find us in uh i in apple podcasts not itunes apple podcasts with an m4a chapter feed and mp3 unchaptered feed and we're also up on stitcher we'd appreciate ratings and reviews either place and we're both on twitter i am at the televers noel you are at noel rk thank you so much for a great week kate Thank you, Noel. And everyone, get your get to your Crunchyroll and Netflix viewing for next week's Make You Watch-a-Thon. Until then, have a wonderful week. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. Mm-hmm.